when you're on a tour, the nerves, like, you're better at the routine. It's like the momentum of going through it. Yeah. If I haven't played in a while, like, my demons start to creep up. The self-doubt and the um, stage fright. Yeah. Just, but after a few shows, once I get the confidence rebuilt, it's better. How many years have you, have you been doing this at this point? A long time. Um, what year is it? It's 2018. 2018 yeah. I been like touring since 2004 you still have that self-doubt you still get a little freaked out before you get on stage mm-hmm. and i think sometimes some people never get over that yeah it's, i i like to think it keeps me humble and keeps me working hard and it goes away like when i was on tour with the band ghost the heavy metal yeah. band that was much larger venues than i'd been accustomed to because they won a grammy and they're huge and that got me over my stage fright sorry when, the larger venue got you over your stage fright had to because like i yeah. couldn't with an opening slot with a bunch of people that you have to impress there's no there's no forgiveness like mm-hmm. i had to just be tough and strong and um put almost put on a character in a way to get through it now i'm a little tougher than i used to be people must almost sort of disappear into abstraction when you're playing for such a large crowd oh yeah it it was wild i um it was good for me though if you're on stage and there's you know if if it's a small crowd there's like 20 people out there and you can make eye contact with somebody and and hear their conversations and see how they're reacting to a show that must heighten things well so i'm very nearsighted i i wear glasses <laughs> but i don't ever wear glasses when i'm on stage like you make your even, you blind yourself yep even yeah. the smallest venues like uh that way if i'd like keep my eyes open and look out into the crowd it's an impressionistic painting and you can't see people looking at their phone or yawning or anything that could get in your head how do you psych yourself up before you go on stage Nowadays, I'm pretty wholesome. I play words with friends and sing warm-ups and stuff. Do you have to kind of like forget about the fact that you're about to go on stage? Is that is that helpful? Every time I have to go out on stage, the more I think about it, invariably, the, the worse it gets and the more the nerves set in. Yeah, I think it's just a lot of self-talk. Like, come yeah. on, girl, you've been doing this for so long. People want to hear you. They like you. Like, I just have to remember that people want you to succeed. There's not too many people that want to see a train wreck or a failure when they go to a concert. I mean, they're out there. There are. Sure, but they're probably not, you know, paying specifically to go to to one of of your shows, I would guess. Yeah. (laughs) If that's sort of a a big part of the process, how did you get into live performance in the first place? It's a part of the whole thing. You know, I love writing songs. I love making records. And I do like performing. Um, I've always been very shy. Every person has certain obstacles, whether it's like, oh, I don't like my voice or, but I, and that's just a little thing. It isn't a huge factor. Like I'm tough now, so yeah. I can get, get up in front of anybody and sing, but I would, I'd be lying if I said I was, I have like an exhibitionist by nature. Self-doubt though is exactly what leads a lot of people to not pursue these things i mean it and, and that's something that for most people who who have that I, I certainly do it extends beyond just the live performance into perhaps every aspect of what you do and that makes it difficult to make what is kind of a bold assumption that like anyone would ever possibly want to hear this thing that i've made 
Yeah, luckily, because I've been at this so long, like I have the intel. So whenever, you know, <laughs> you know that there are people who enjoy it. I do. Like I am very analytical in a weird way. Like I sometimes doubt and things like that. They're abstract and unwarranted fears. And then you can look at the data. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're, I'm being totally crazy. And I just talk myself out of these. Uh, K-holes, emotional K-holes. <laughs> emotional K-holes. <laughs> yeah. I suspect that you're not the person who, the kind of person who does things specifically or, or makes songs specifically because you think they're what people want to hear. But yeah. it is important that there are people in the world who do want to hear them. Yeah. I have a lot of faith in my material. Yeah. Like, that's the good thing. It's, I'm like the vessel in a way. I mean, the songs are the art. I'm not the art. And I think sometimes with female performers or performers in general, there is a really blurred line between the art and the artist, which we're dealing with a lot right yeah. now, just with like the Twitter lynch mobs or whatever. Yeah. Um, I think that the material itself, I feel, reaches a lot of people. There are themes that everybody can relate to. And um, I'm different than the material or separate. And because I have the same name as my performing person it does get complicated sometimes vessels in a really interesting word because to me that suggests that you know there's this kind of idea of almost channeling something right that you're that there's something that exists in the world and you're almost this funnel for the art maybe i mean i think in some ways all artists are like that work is definitely more effortless when life gives you stuff to write about some of the music that i really like to listen to has a directness and over the years just as my confidence has grown and i realized i didn't have as strong as an affinity to eight seconds of reverb on my voice as i used to that the songs stand on their own do you feel that in a way early on that you were sort of trying to bury it or mask it or like i think when i was an art student at RISD, i I really had a fear of being just this normal singer-songwriter coffee shop chick i was pretty out there you know my first record is sings a lot of literary rock like edgar Allan poe and pablo neruda and i wanted to distinguish myself from but then as i got older i realized music's beauty maybe is its universality and that it was okay for me to use common tropes and be direct and there's always something new does that feel like an affectation at this point is it difficult for you to go back and listen to it (laughs) well i love my first record still my second record i i if i could i have so many albums at this point the second record is only one that i would like to like completely re-record really what happened it's just my vocal affectation i think I was just hanging out with the like <laughs> the wrong crowd. No, it was the right crowd, but I I'm a sponge and sometimes if you hang around with too many singers, yeah. you start to I think I wanted to be a opera singer for a very brief period of like a month and that was when I did that record. Did you feel like you were trying to Im- impress somebody at that point or was I it just mean. like enjoying something and f- trying to figure out how to sort of pull that into your oh, orbit? Like so long ago, yeah. I don't know what I was thinking, but like now I'm just really glad I feel like my last, from my recite, I feel like my career's had two parts. I had like this early career with a lot of records. And then from July, Strangers 
to this new record, it's like this division where my songwriting changed. It got better. Everything's better now. So I just, it's not like I'm throwing all like the previous five earlier records under the bus. Every artist wants to grow and get better. Maybe part of not having massive success early on kept me trying. That sort of changes gradual over time. But was there something that really lit a fire under you and made you decide to or maybe decide is the wrong word, but that sort of sent you in that new direction? I think I just had my head down working really hard for a long time and you get better at things, whether it's... Well, I had this one song on Spotify that went like crazy... Not like viral, viral. So you do want, you do pay attention to the, to these things. Oh yeah, I mean, well, you have to yeah. because it, music is my day job, and my record labels were like, "Why does this song have twenty two million listens? It, it's recorded on a iMac mm-hmm. internal microphone. It's a demo. It costs no money, and it went and that song kind of showed me what my in a weird way it was like a experiment. Yeah. That was the variable. It showed me what was working. I was like, why did that song blow up with such bad recording quality? And it was shorter than a lot of my other songs. It didn't go on for six minutes. It stopped at four. And I am such an abstract artist in a way, but I had to look at things analytically. Yeah. And a lot. It's just like any other art form. That was a. I was like, okay, maybe I'm... Go- pulling these songs on too long maybe i can edit better maybe i should hit the chorus sooner it's a craft um i think some of the best songwriters do just keep refining it and so this new record is literally every song took that lesson that i learned from leave the light on and i applied that to the entire record making sure that no song like there was some serious scissors cut that's one of the big problems with modern technology um you know, I think there's this common consensus now that like computer recording is up to a point, you know, Pro Tools and Logic are up to a point where it's like hard for most ears to distinguish the difference. But one of the downsides of recording onto something a computer is that you have this sort of infinite editing tool and you can just like spend hours or days working on a hi-hat sound. Oh, yeah. Learning to walk away is one of the most important lessons I think I've learned as an artist. It's like, sure, I hate my second record, but I need to just let that go. Yeah. It's not fair to the That's people just the that like it. just as a human, you exactly. know, to In just general, sort of let those things go. Like, sure, I've had some great albums, some ones I wish I could take back and learning to just stop a project, whether it's a home recording or I I have a lot of different mediums that I work in. So I had to say to myself, it's time to stop stop motion animation. This is taking up way too much of your time and certainly not making you any money. And um, I've got to stop with the candle making because that's taking up too much time. So it's always just balancing. Yeah. Like, when is this done people like i think in this era of plasticity people kind of yearn for this home recording sound that makes you feel closer to somebody um i personally don't like slick recordings and perfect records are you the kind of person who needs you know eight million projects going at one time in order to be sort of fulfilled or satisfied or at least sane well like if i knew how to be fulfilled satisfied or sane that would be great i think there's not a big division between even though the performer and the art are separate like i feel very much my identity is tied in and being an artist yeah. and so there isn't a day job and there's no end there's no weekends there's yeah. no vacations it's just like i don't really feel happy with myself unless i do something 
during a day that I can call an accomplishment, which may or may not be healthy, but I like have a lot of different things going on at once. It's not healthy. Um, <laughs> I, I, like, I suffer from the same thing. You, you get anxious when you're not creating. Yeah. I don't know how much of it's creating or, or even being productive, but I had something similar when I was you know going through a, a freelance period, a involuntary, because I've been publishing involuntary freelance period of my life. And when I started doing it, a friend of mine said, oh, it freelancing is really great you know you can go see a movie in the middle of the day i can't i can't do that when other, when other people are out working I, i'm so anxious about the fact that i'm not being productive oh yeah same thing i mean it's also a lot of people don't respect so if i say i'm a musician and, yeah. and i'm not like at the beyonce level of yeah. fame it's like all right but what do you really do yeah. and i'm like no no really i make a meager living as a musician and a painter and um and it is always like oh if i let myself sleep too late or anything i don't let myself watch tv or you have to be very disciplined as a self-employed freelance artist um yeah i still struggle with it it's a model that i'm still trying to work yeah. out at my age, like how to structure the days. You know, aside from the going out and touring and actually recording a record, I mean, how do you quantify progress? I can point to a number of things that I've written that, you know, exist in the world. How do you know whether or not, you know, you've been productive in a day? The art itself yeah. is like, if you can listen, I can listen to it with my own ears yeah. or look at it with my own eyes. So if I, I know I put the time in, if the song sounds good or that's the payoff is the hard work uh, payoff to the hard work is the song itself so that's how i quantify the time spent i definitely have like a zillion side projects and with music too so maybe it's overcompensating a little for not having another day job or yeah. i always want to have a lot of irons in the fire well i do teach art but um not currently but you could easily spend a day or a week or a month or a year working on a song and that's that's what makes it difficult to quantify progress yeah it's hard to know sometimes like whether the song was better with its first cut or yeah. after multiple revisions and at additional bridges and choruses but I'm a very in intuitive artist, so if it sounds good and it's it sounds right, I just feels right. I just try to walk away and let it be as hard as it is. Because I think sometimes the paralysis with artists, the paralysis of productivity yeah. can come with perfectionism, and I'm a perfectionist, but I have tried to train myself to let go with songs. Sure, I could make the lyrics like a thousand revisions but people don't even necessarily notice those unfortunately they just notice my voice or my i don't know so <laughs> i do it for me i guess along with a more direct musicality or more direct production comes more direct lyrics as well do you feel that you're being just sort of more honest or <clears throat> tapping yeah. into something more personal? for better or worse it's really hard when to be honest in songwriting when real people are involved. It becomes very tricky and meta to write about your life if your husband is like a now a well-known writer with a hit book or, you know, it, it, there's and everybody can look at pictures on Facebook and it becomes tricky in this world to write about real life sometimes. As a songwriter or a poet, you're afforded a certain amount of abstraction in there. 
Yeah, and I think anytime you start dating a writer or a songwriter, you kind of know just in a general sense that everything is fair game. Your life itself is the inspiration. I mean, people write about what they know. That's the, at least what everybody says you should do. I dated a musician once who didn't write a word about me until we broke up. It is those bummers. It is those sort of tragedies that oftentimes like lead to more interesting work. Oh, yeah. That's, that's the tough thing. Yeah. When the best artwork comes from sorrow or torment, it's hard to find the zygote, like, which which is causing which. Yeah, Yeah, obviously, these things in life are are pretty self-fulfilling prophecies. But you, I mean, you seem like you're pretty happy at this point in your life. Um, No, no comment. (laughs) I don't know how to answer that question. I'm really good at compartmentalizing. Which is both good and bad when you're an artist, right? Which is both good and bad when you... It's your job to sort of tap directly into those emotions. Yes. I'm very much an empath and kind of overly sensitive person. I sometimes have to forcibly shut off the valves, like wear sunglasses and a hat, and I don't go out very much. (laughs) It's a lot of stimulation. Like when I'm in New York City, it is really overwhelming for me. I think I'd be happy living in a yurt in the middle of the forest at this point. Is it possible to find inspiration when you're not leaving your home? Oh, yeah. Well, the imagination is a beautiful yeah. thing. Some of the most interesting artists are have been kind of hermits, I yeah. think. I spoke to somebody recently who's, who was going through some kind of personal crisis, and he said that he felt like he was ready to talk about it. And I said, I, I don't think you're ready to make art around this because you, you haven't had the distance. I mean, it, it's impossible to really process things until you've got some you know time between you and them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> How do you structure a day You know, when you're sort of going out of your way to be more productive? I've been running my, I was running my own mail order for a yeah. while. So like I, I do that at night yeah. so it doesn't eat up the creative energy. So when people were buying like vinyl from my website, it's actually me packing it up, but the orders were too much. So we're switching that over, but the morning time is like the best writing time. There's been so many different projects. Like I made a, a lot of music videos the past couple of years and I think things take precedent by due date. So I ask people for hard, hard finish yeah. dates, and then I kind of you need calendars. deadlines to be productive. The songwriting it will be like a two or three year project. Sometimes if I'm working on hmm. a new group of songs, and then everything else I kind of have to fit in by their due dates. Whether it's a, a song for a, a movie or a playlist, a lot of those things they don't pay you. Obviously, it's all just like throwing darts into the air and hoping that they stick. Whatever. I don't know. That wasn't a very good metaphor, but um, <laughs> throwing things against the wall, I think, is the. Um, the thank you. Yeah, yeah I'm not. I definitely don't have it all figured out. Yeah, I've struggled with the day-to-day because the model of the independent musician is a little weird. It's like you're it's expected to not have a day job so that you can be ready to tour an album from three months to two years, depending on its success level. So anytime you need money in between tours, it's like, okay, well, I'm not really able to commit and then it puts a cap on what type of job you can get. So I just made the, I was doing private art lessons. Um, I taught special needs high school kids, art and music, and little, little things over the past few years like that. I was looking at, I think, your official bio or whatever they send out with the, the new albums. And there was a mention in there that your courses had sort of dwindled, but you had one, what, a 95-year-old woman that you were still teaching? 
Yeah, Doris. Doris really blew my mind yeah. and kind of changed my life. She was my last student with this company that I was working in. And once I quit the company, because it was mostly like fourth grade girls, which happened to be like the meanest <laughs> human beings in the universe. It's like when women become catty. And I never really like fit in. So I, I, I get along better. Did with you feel bullied by the fourth grade sometimes, girls? Sometimes, yeah. Because yeah, I'm so not, I'm too nice. Yeah. It's been my biggest problem through life did you revert back to i think a little i i got a little like okay sure we can do that um (laughs) but doris i click better with older like old people and adults for whatever or teenage kids and she wanted to take painting and she's 95 years old her daughter signed her up for oil painting lessons she had no experience at all not much but um you know we started with some impressionistic landscapes and she's been in the same house for 50 years living on this lake and raised six kids and we just really connected and she told me that i changed her the way she looked at the world which to me was crazy like to hear something like that from somebody that had been in this world for so long it coincided with my birthday and then I freaked out like sure I call myself a painter but I have nothing to show for it which isn't really true but after that moment I started to really paint again like she actually helped me again and realized that I'd been neglecting one of my bigger gifts and um so I started oil painting again and now all those odd jobs have been replaced by probably the one that made the most sense all along to go alongside my music which was the thing I went to school for and studied so been now like selling paintings and it's been an exciting turn of my life just because it's certainly better time spent than like boxing up vinyl or candles which is bad for your hands and if you're talking about like massive numbers over the course of years which is what I've been doing I have labels that record labels but you know for other stuff like artists march and things and it's just exact it's I'm kind of done with that stuff. So I couldn't believe people would actually buy a painting. I never thought I'd see the day. So I'm excited. Has teaching impacted your painting and all? I mean, especially, you know, when when you're teaching somebody like a 95-year-old woman or a special needs student. I mean, that's a completely different view of the world. I think it just helped me keep my skills sharp, but also because I was worried I was rusty after all these years. I've not really, I'd been drawing and I've been very creative with a lot of different mediums, but not really oil painting. And it didn't go away. It's just like riding a bike and all that, all those lessons that I'd given all these other people over the past 10 years. Teaching does kind of help keep the skills sharp. So it wasn't that hard to get back into it. I taught at this therapeutic high school for two years, three years, right before July came out I was the art teacher like Miss Marissa I loved it but it, I, I, it was really hard some of the kids were you know I'm very sensitive so I, I had a hard time getting attached to some of the kids that, but I had some great success stories like one of my students just graduated mass art and like has a painting career now so and I feel a little guilty about that because <laughs> the type of work ethic that you need to be a successful artist it's like equal parts talent and work ethic determine it's not just skill it's luck plus just crazy amount of dedication I think so I worried about him graduating college like just is he gonna be okay 
as a painter, but he seems to be getting into exhibitions and as a website. And it's a responsibility to guide somebody into the arts because our country does not support the arts. Sounds like you did the best you possibly could in that role as a teacher. I know. It's just like, it is a, I joke about it. Because I'm like, oh, man, what did I do? To, like, I, I should have told this kid to be. Well, I know, but I will never tell. Yeah. I will, I will always be the one to tell parents that they can have their kids make livings as artists. I'm a big proponent of that. Don't dissuade young people from being an art. Because arts are just so many more things than just like scribbling in a notebook. There's architecture, industrial design, prosthetic design. I mean, like there's just a bad perception, I think, in our country that I've been trying to fight against. Yeah. yeah. You've learned to be a pragmatist about a lot of this, you know, about like the, what jobs you're choosing and, and what you're working on. And, and, and that, is, that is an important quality, I think, to, to impart on somebody is, is sort of like being realistic about those expectations. And, you know, perhaps there is a way to be realistic about something without stifling someone's dream. Because on the flip side, if you're not, and that person doesn't succeed immediately on their talent, then, you know, then that's a pretty good indicator for them that it's time to just sort of, you know, give it up and move on to the next thing. Yeah. There was a time where I tried to do that in a way. And I... To just pack it in or... Well, a little. I just, it was like in between, I was in between record labels when I got that job and I was just kind of down on my luck and I'm thinking maybe I just want to put some roots down and stop touring and I missed it terribly I missed um the open road I missed just writing songs and then got re-signed to two much better record labels than my previous one and had this really strong second act but I think I went back into it for the right reasons like I don't care if I ever get to a point where I'm like playing amphitheaters it's just I realized some people when you do what you want to do, it isn't work. It's a cliche, but it's true. So as much as I still really love songwriting, so I missed it. And it's been a good few years career-wise since I went back to it. You've described having two acts in, in two different ways. The first one was sort of splitting down your approach to the creative process. And the second one, again, was just more like kind of almost like business-like in that, you know, this is literally a first part of my career. This thing happens in the middle it splits it in half here's the second part of my career now do those two acts do those overlap i I definitely like the way i think about the the, like my life it does feel like those were two different eras i'm thinking my it's not often that people's best material is their later work i mean sometimes it's and i think i attribute it to not having early success i think if you get too popular too famous too quickly well one runs the risk of maybe phoning it in or losing the drive and my drive isn't i don't know like i for whatever reason i feel like I'm just starting. I'll just be one of those people that's making records until I'm like decrepit and probably trying new instruments all the time. And it's still fun. Does the fact that sort of reality intervened in a way and that you were, you know, given the gift of this second chance, is that part of what changed your approach to your music? I think it was just natural. Like yeah. I got older, I listened to more music. I had a, a deeper understanding of what it was about music certain songs that I liked, what makes a song reach a person. I think I was, there's certain gauze layers that I was putting up. Like I love ethereal and I love atmosphere, but I just started to have a a more overall better understanding of 
like the craft of songwriting, I think. That's something that we tend to fight against early on, right, is, is sort of having a almost scientific approach to it, that maybe it's not it's not authentic in the same way if, you know, if you're taking these other things into account. And that's, that's again, getting back to the idea of the muse and the idea of channeling something, like that's a bad trap to get into. You know, this idea that music needs to be effortless, like, of, of course you have to put some work yeah. in it. Like the muse is always strong with me. I'm I'm a very emotionally driven person. There's just so much feeling that I can barely function. But so I've had to. There's a real split in my brain. I'm very like equal parts analytical and yeah. highly emotional. So I just had to kind of step back from an outsider's perspective. I well the pro- the new producers that I worked with really helped me because. Justin Raisin, he did Angel Olsen's last record, and he is a real songwriter, songwriter. He writes songs. It was so interesting to just talk to, and for different types of musicians, pop artists, rappers, and I obviously write all my own material, but just kind of workshopping some of the songs were, for instance, on the Gene Clark song, which is on my record, he's like, this is not an eight-minute sentiment. Like, it doesn't, this is a two minutes three minutes sentiment like this isn't a, how long was it was the original eight minutes well it was it was much longer yeah i had and and i, I he made me laugh because he, he's like like i understood what he yeah. was saying he, and he so many people look at songwriting from so many different angles like rihanna like th- these people have like songwriting camps where yeah. it is truly a science like an equation and I obviously am nowhere near thinking about music that way I'm self-taught I taught myself everything that I know but you know a little bit of that information is helpful sometimes yeah. like oh that's a good place for a bridge you're right you know what's this saying in writing is, is killing your darlings is it's impossible for you not to be precious about your own work right I mean that's why you need someone in the studio with you to sort of point the direction a little bit it's been fun just it's weird I feel like this new record is the best one I've done I would never have thought that I would say that this far into my career or one of them like it I think July like my last three I really like a lot as like a unit I like to kind of dispel the myth of, that it, it is just some. I know I did say earlier that it was a vessel. Uh, I was a vessel, but I meant that more like in talking about separating me as a performer. But the songwriting itself is definitely an art. Just like when I teach painting, and these kids say, "I'll never be good like you," and I, I'm just a very firm believer in hard work and practice. Which is maybe unromantic. Why do we treat music so differently than just about every other art form where we expect that people are just going to get all their good albums out of the way early on? I don't know. But I'm hoping that there's a, like a good handful of very strong female songwriters that have been doing their part to break down that. That new Nico Case record is incredible. Yeah, yeah. like Nico Case, Lucinda Williams, yeah. Cat Power. Like these are like um, Gillian Welsh. These are people that are making the strongest work uh, continuing to push themselves and do, do you feel like that sentiment though is more heavily weighted toward female songwriters probably yeah yes well i just think once you reach like the 
I don't know. Like, are you allowed to swear on this podcast? You can unfuckable. Yeah, like once, like you (laughs) just. I I always worried about that. Like, should I keep my private life completely private? Like, is part of the allure of a female songwriter the the ability to like fantasize, and that doesn't really exist as much with men. And um, there is this aging out that happens with female actresses, which is there's like a Velvet Underground song about it. But you know, Mm -hmm. it's um. That kind of thing feels a little bit relevant in the music industry, but not so much because things are changing and there's a lot of really badass ladies that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s still killing it and breaking down that myth that you have to be a 20-something ingenue um, to win the hearts of America. I saw somebody say this on Facebook. It was horrible, but he was talking about um, Exile in Guyville and he said, you know, the first... when when this album crossed my radar. I kind of wrote it off because I, I thought, oh, you know, Liz Fair is eye candy. And I so I think the flip side of that, uh, <laughs> what I'm saying, though, I think yeah. the, the flip side of that is I think it, it's harder to get on people's radar when you're older. But in a way, when you're young and beautiful, it might be more difficult to get people to take you seriously. Oh, absolutely. I've been a really great like picker and finger picker guitar player and like that is never mentioned in a single review of my music never mentioned on stage my songwriting is never mentioned on stage it's always like marissa and the black dress and the hair and uh, whatever and it pisses me off you know what are you gonna do it's we and i say like we the not men but we the collective uh music journalists or you know writers like we you know want to paint a picture right we want we want a narrative and 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 whatever you're presenting to the audience visually is an easy way to tell that story absolutely so sometimes i wonder like should i start just wearing jeans and like no makeup and just like sit down and be like grungy maybe that's my next act so that people will be like wow i never realized she could play guitar like that (laughs) um because it it is a bizarre thing like exile in guyville for me was a really really big record i love that record and i but i know what she was such a babe and she still is liz fair this is just like one of my most exciting moments. She followed me on Twitter and liked a tweet. <laughs> and I was, and then I knew it was real. Yeah. And I just flipped out because she is, was definitely that record. The songwriting on that record is amazing. Not just that one, her in general. As far as, you know, actually like loving and enjoying what you do, how do the first and second halves compare? I love it now. Like, I don't care. If, I just have reached a, a stage of acceptance where I don't really care if I never have a lot of money. I don't care if I never have stability. These are the costs yeah. of being like a lifer. Like I have accepted that I may never have a retirement fund unless I get like a Goodwill Hunting kind of style sync situation where like a movie uses four of my songs or a car commercial. Like I've been having some luck lately with that sinks and stuff which is fine if it's a something thankfully there have been like great shows and i haven't had to like decide whether i want to endorse a liquor company um you know but i just accept it as long as i'm doing what i love it does it is true i'm happy with it because i get enough notes from people every day saying your music has helped me through a really hard time in my life and 
keep doing what you're doing. And it's just the little things. Yeah. That, but it's also just fun. I, I hate day jobs. I have tried so many of it, every day job in the book, and I just don't fit in that. But maybe, you know, not constantly looking at the next plateau and not feeling a sense of jealousy for people who you feel like might not be as talented as you are who have gotten further maybe not focusing on that sort of stuff is able to make you not take what you have and the people who enjoy and listen to your music for granted exactly i think early when i was younger i was like why i not like growing up in venue level or why can't i fill a room in boston but now i don't care it's like how cool is it that I can fill a room in Istanbul? And it's just like getting your mind around acceptance. I mean, I'm grateful and I think it's a pretty cool life to be able to travel in the world and sing people beautiful songs. But it's taken a long time to get to that point of acceptance, I think, because now women are banding together now. I think music journalists like to kind of, or they used to, compare in a negative way almost. Mm -hmm. And now I put almost all female musicians on my new record. And um, there's getting away from competition and comparison is uh, the pathway to Zen, I think. I've gotten pretty new age in my old age. There you go. That was Marissa Nadler. Glad we were finally able to do that. We've been trying to set the conversation for a very long time. She's in Boston. I'm in New York, like ships in the night all the time. Every time I was out there, she was out here. Finally came around on tour to New York and we were able to set up that conversation. She actually will be back in uh, the very near future, I think uh, next month, as a matter of fact. Her new record is called For My Crimes. It's out now on Sacred Bones Records. Thanks so much to her for taking the time to do that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the show. If you like the program, there are so many ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes or Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify now, anywhere where you have to get podcasts. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all of your RIYL-related information. And that's about all we got for this week, so stick around because we are going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.